Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. The body of Christ, I thank you tonight for the ministry of the church. I give you thanks, Lord, for the call of God upon our lives, that you called us out from the world and into the spiritual body of Christ, the gathering of believers that receive from you and walk in your instruction as obedient in purpose and in significance. We pray, Lord, that you would open the eyes of our understanding tonight, Lord, and that each one of us might be able to see the uh, compelling and the necessity to grow up in all things, to grow up, Lord, to mature, to get to the place where uh, we can say there's perfection, completion. There's an actual expression that we are walking in the fullness of our calling, Lord. And Lord, that we not, no longer walk as children with instability, unstable, unfruitful, Lord. Uh, fellowshipping with darkness, Lord, and things that uh, are not beneficial in this season. We pray that you would give us an understanding of what growth is and development and maturity, and we could see these things and so that you would prosper your work upon the earth. And we give you thanks for your word and ask you to bless it and that it not return void, O oh God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We know that uh, one of the things that, that we are called to do in Christ is to grow up. Um, I had a, a woman call me today. She says, uh, my husband left me because he doesn't want to take his place as a man. And we have all had the effects um, of people that do not walk in maturity. And there's no greater devastation than somebody who should be mature is not mature. And you know what she tells me? His dad did the same thing and abandoned the family when he was a little boy. So we see the continued effects of those who refuse maturity. Um, I would encourage you to avoid immature people. Have nothing to do with people who refuse to grow up. Have nothing to do with those people called to growth and they want to walk around like midgets. And so whether it's a husband who doesn't want to take his place as uh, in the family as he should, or whether it's a father that abandons the house, or whether it's one of our own children that refuses to grow up, a son who does what the prodigal son did, instead of taking responsibility, he took the possessions. Uh, what, what audacity. I don't know what you would do if one of your sons grabbed everything that was his inheritance and walked off with it. I would say, brother, you're going and you're not going with anything that I'm not going to increase or finance or promote your foolishness. I'm not going to be a part of your stupidity. And so um, the prodigal son comes years later saying, you know something, I, I was a fool. I need to go back. I need to get the training I need. I need to grow up. He says, Father, forgive me. I want you to now deal with me on a maturity capacity. Um, the same thing with a wife. I have a, a friend of mine who goes around and says, my wife still thinks she's in middle school. And I have to treat her like my daughter. And, and that is a travesty, a wife that doesn't want to grow up and take maturity. 
Um, but the same thing happens in the church setting with believers. And believers love to have the kindergarten lessons. Okay, today we're going to finger paint. Today we're going to pass out the crayons. Today we're going to take a nap. Today we're going to go to the playground. Today we're going to go on a field trip. And everything has to do with something beneficial, privilege, and, and, and participation, but nothing in regards to um, the sacrifice of self. You tell somebody they're going to have to do something and then they want to check out. And that's the, the state of many believers nowadays. A lot of Christians nowadays want a church where they are receiving but they don't want to give anything. Um, a very famous pastor in Chicago, the name Bill Hybels, he started Willow Creek Church. And he, started, he put his church out for 20,000 people. And you can have your latte, you could have your Starbucks, you could play racquetball, you could go to the skateboard park. You could do everything at the church. The only thing that they didn't know how to do is come to serve. So at the end of 20 years, imagine me writing a letter to the world, and this is what he did. He wrote a letter to the body of Christ. He says, in the last 20 years, I've, did, I've done everything to cause the church to grow, to prosper, to increase, and I realize that all these people that are here are only here because of the benefits of what they receive. They're here to serve no one but themselves. And that is the hallmark of immaturity. The hallmark of immaturity is me, myself, and I. It's, it's self-glorified. What do I want? Where, what do I feel? Where am I going? Where am I coming? What do I think? And so the, the Bible says a fool is only pleased inventing out his own emotions. That's highly foolish. The Bible also says that he who shuts his mouth, even though he were a fool, would come to pass as a wise man. If, if somebody just withholds the expressions of self, they would be considered wise, in other words. So the aspiration of maturity and to grow up should be our desire and our longing. We should not want to continue with spiritual pampers, with Gerber. You guys know what Gerber is, right? That guy right there, there he is. We don't want to look like this in our Christian walk. <gasps> and, and it's all about the expression of me, myself, and I. No other sentiment is in our hearts. So the aspirations of maturity should be our desire. And let me just tell you something, just in case you didn't know. It is the heart of God to draw you to maturity. It's the heart of God that you would grow up. The Bible says, grow up into all things as Christ, who is head of the church. So our, uh, our necessity to mature, as well as the direction of our maturity. The direction of our maturity is that by the time we're done and finished in this process, we will be more and more like Christ. We will, we will be the reflection of His character. You shouldn't look like a hoodlum when you've been growing in Christ. You shouldn't look like some savvy Donald Trump when you have finished your experience in the ways of the Lord. You shouldn't have any reflection but the glory of God Himself. And so uh, that's where we're headed. And so um, you'll see the continued admonitions and uh, the Word of the Lord throughout. If you, if you see... Uh, the dealings with Paul in the churches, two-thirds of the New Testament were written by Paul. 
And Paul was, was consumed. His, his every thought, his every pleasure was that he might reflect Christ. He says, I've reflected a lot of things in this world. I look like Jennifer Lopez. I look like Pamela Anderson. I look like Donald Trump. I look like Puff Daddy. But considering all loss that I might reflect the glory of the only begotten of God. He says, I consider all things garbage so that my life represents. When people look at me, they're not seeing anybody else but Christ himself. And this is in our physical aspect. I, I don't know that, 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 you know, there was definitely an inner city in the times of Christ. There was definitely a ghetto, a place stricken with poverty. But guess what? Jesus was the pristine gentleman reflecting his glory. He wasn't reflecting uh, the Gothics. He wasn't reflecting uh, the 60s. I have a pastor friend of mine who says, Joaquin, you know something? I think you're being a little bit hard because I'm a rocker also. I said, yeah, but you're not to represent the 60s. You're not to represent the Beatles and rock and roll. You're to represent the kingdom of God. You're to bring down the culture of heaven and let it be expressed in all of its glory. And that's our calling. And that only maturity. Again, a, a child only wants to express himself in the light of what he feels and what he likes. And, and, and we'll see this in Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. Paul says the words, I will not cease to suffer the, the, the birth pangs. It's going to hurt me again and again until Christ is formed in you. And he's talking to those people that are just starting out. He said, you know, the, my, my difficulties, my hurt, my pain is that you might be molded, that you might be instructed, that you might be corrected, and that at the end of this whole thing, they might see Christ. They might see the glory of God. And so in this regards, Paul was passionate about this. And many times he would walk into a city and he would walk into a gathering of children, not children, of church-going Christians. And in 1 Corinthians 3.1, he says, I got here with the desire to, to address you as grown adults and I couldn't speak to you as mature spiritual people, but I had to talk to you like if you're carnal babes in Christ. You know, all the, all the vocal stuff. There's a season for that. I don't, I don't have any issues with somebody coming to be born again. And it says, as newborn babes. There's, there's a season for newborn babes. But this thing about Christians who have been Christians for 10 years. You talk to me a little bit rude. Listen to me. You need a lot more than rude, my friend. Because you do not know, nor do you look like what God wants to do in your life. I love Jack Keene when a man who called himself a Christian knocked at the door and says, I'm here and I want to go out with your wife. And Jack Keene says, no, because you don't look like anything that Christ would have sent to my daughter. My daughter is not going to marry somebody that looks like you. And you do not come across as a Christian by the way he had long hair, he had earrings, he had piercings, he had all this stuff going on. And she, he said, no. And plus, she's not going to marry somebody who owns a motorcycle. This is Jack Keane. You guys know him. He'll be here soon. But the thing is, guess what the guy did? Wisdom. I like the girl. He went, he cut his hair, he got his earrings out, he sold his motorcycle and came back. 
and knocked on the door and says, how you doing, sir? I'm here to see your daughter. He goes, okay, now, and Rodney married his daughter. And Rodney is an awesome, faithful servant of Christ. He's an awesome man of God. And see, we don't have that disposition nowadays because we're brats. We, we throw tantrums. We, we need to be, you know, God knows who is going to be able to father a brat, but I don't think that Christ is into this scenario. As I read Hebrews chapter 12, where it says, if you're going to be a son, you're going to receive discipline and correction. And all of the, those that are able to withstand being spoken to as a son will be, uh, will, will be considered not a bastard, will be considered in the family. A bastard is illegitimate, somebody who, who cannot withstand. And this is Hebrews chapter uh, 12. We'll go there quickly. In verse, um, verse 5, And have you forgotten that there's someone who speaks to you like a father speaks to a son? My son, do not despise when they're um, chastening, correcting you, disciplining you. Do not despise it. That means don't hate this and do not be discouraged. Because when somebody begins to address your life, you want to take off. You want to leave. You don't like a dad in your life. I went to the orphanage here in Miami about five years ago, and I picked up three guys that were graduating. They were turning 18, and the orphanage could not have them anymore. Three guys. And I went to pick them up because the orphanage called me. They don't have anywhere to go. They have no family. They need someone to be in their lives. So I picked all three of them up, and I said, I want to be your dad. And you know what they said? Thank you, but no thank you. I don't want correction. I don't want somebody to tell me what time I have to come, what time I have to go, what, what do I have to look like. I don't want a father. I want to be here. I want the money. I want you to finance and roll me and, and bless me, but I do not want you to speak into my life. That's why Timothy says you might be able to gather 10,000 teachers in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, you might have 10,000 Bible scholars that will tell you all about theology. They'll tell you all about the post-tribulation, modern tribulation, uh, uh, the, the, the rapture. They'll tell you everything of Scripture. You have 10,000 instructors in Christ, but you're not going to have many fathers. And he says, I'm your father in the Lord. I'm going to talk to you. And this is the same church where he says, I couldn't talk to you as adults. 1 Corinthians, let's go back. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1. I could not talk to you as spiritual men, but non-spiritual, carnal. Because you guys are incredible infants. You're babes in Christ. You, you, need, to go, you need to go deal with mom. You need to have that that mother-child experience without anything that has to do with discipline and correction and that awful word. As a baby is born, he's put on his mother's breast and, and he's rock, lullaby, and, and everything is good. And, and, and guess what? That first awful day that they hear the voice of dad saying, No! They freak out. It looks like they're getting shocked with one of those, what are those calls? With a taser. That's not a taser, my friend. That'll save your life one day. That's going to be something that will make you wake up and smell the coffee. 
And so Paul says, I couldn't speak to you with that, that intensity calling you to grow up. You want to be perpetual children. That's called Peter Pan. That's called, I never want to grow up. I want to be a Toys R Us Christian. Because Toys R Us are Toys R Us. No. God wants you to grow up. And your growing up will be manifest in fruitfulness of maturity. You'll walk different. You'll talk different. You'll, you'll be able to come to a different place of faithfulness in your life. And so he says, by now you ought to be, verse 2, I could not speak to you as I fed you milk and not with solid food. But until now, you were not able to receive it. And even now, you are still not able. I want to get you into another level of your growth. I want to move you along. And, and this is the travesty of wanting to stay behind. And, and I want to go in playground. And where's, uh, uh, you know, I want to stay in this. Verse 3, he says, um, for you are still carnal. Get, get what we're talking about tonight is not a personal assault in your person. It's a call to maturity. If you're going to be spiritual, you're not going to be carnal. And if you're carnal, you're not mature. You're a child. You're throwing tantrums. You're throwing fits. You're expressing more you than you are Christ. And, and God is calling us with urgency to express who he is in this world. And this is not going to be, the temperature is not going to be set at 70. You're not going to be able to, to hear, shh, what's going on? The baby's sleeping. Listen to me. Have you seen adults sleep? You can have a train fall right next to them. They're going to sleep because they've grown up. They're not catered to according to what they need. They do what they need to do regardless of what's going on. He says, for you are still not spiritual, but you're in the flesh. For where there is the expressions of envy is called selfishness. You want what somebody else has had. I have a great time when you go to a birthday party, to a kid's party. Some kid will grab what is not his and he will say mine. And the kid who it belongs to says no. And so between them, there is a continual mine, no mine, no mine, no mine, no mine. As long as there's that atmosphere, there are children involved. I hope that we don't see that at the adults' parties, right? Um, strife, arguments, divisions, difficulties in getting along. And if this is going on amongst you, aren't you just carnal and behaving like un? mature immature men you're 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 just acting like you would like if you weren't even a christian so here paul is desiring them and and trust me uh, paul is more intense than myself um, paul got to the place in this chapter where he says i thank god i have nothing to do with your spiritual development those are strong words for a man of god to say he says, the way you're acting, I'm glad I had nothing to do with being a part of who you guys are in Christ. In fact, in another place, he said, he said like this, he said, um, I won't take on projects that have been started by other men. If somebody brought somebody into Christianity and they were grown up in a house at another church, Paul says, listen, I don't want to have to do with you. 
I don't want to have to do with you because I'm not going to waste my time to explain to you why you need to press to another season of your life. Because once you start off malfunctioning, and an obstetrician will tell you this, some guy um, who, who is a baby doctor who, who gives baby, he says, if oxygen doesn't come to your brain in the first several minutes of you being born, that will affect you called uh, cerebral palsy the rest of your life. And some of us were born again in churches and then started doing whatever we wanted to do, however we wanted to do it, the times we wanted to do it, and now you come to a church where you're expected to do what you're supposed to do and you think that you're being pointed out as some alien. No, you just weren't with the program from the beginning. You didn't have oxygen, which I call obedience in the Christian life. You weren't living a life of obedience since the beginning. So now you have atrophy. You have cells that resist doing what you need to do. You have the defects of not being able to work out what's normal. And it's considered shock. So he says, I'm glad I had nothing to do with your spiritual development in this regard. He says it here. In, um, let me see if I find it real quick, because some of you guys are looking at me like if Paul didn't say that. Um, as he is explaining to the Corinthians about their necessity to get forward, we're reading uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verse 14. This is, he has a tantrum going on in this church. Everybody's going buck wild. Everybody's doing what they want. And he says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. I thank God I wasn't part of anything that has to do with your spirituality except these two guys here, which I was a part of their baptism, of their development, of their laying down their dead old man to pick up a new man. And so Paul had a real desire. I don't know if you have a desire. How, how many, um, and this is, this is an expression that we've used in the past, if I'm going to teach you basketball, you show up with high tops, with shorts, and a tank top at the basketball court. you got some guys showing up that want you to train them up to be men of God, basketball, and they show up at the pool, at the basketball court in, in those big fins and with a snorkel and a mask. And they're like, let's play. I said, listen, you have no idea. That's not how you play. That's not, you're never going to play basketball in, in flippers and in a snorkel. You're messed up in the head. Don't walk into the house of God where God is, is transforming lives to the character and caliber of Christ. And think that this is a gathering of hangout people like the Lions Club, like the Rotary Club, like some, you, a place you're going to feel comfortable. In fact, if I'm doing this job right now, you feel real uncomfortable. If I'm doing my job, Ecclesiastes 12.10 says like this. He says, I tried to find a man that would tell me words that would feel good. The preacher sought to find acceptable words. To write words of truth. And he found out in verse 11 that the words of a wise man are like goads. Those are the sticks that drive the ox when they're plowing a field. Goads are the long stick that sometimes you want to kick that stick and you only hurt yourself. When you're bucking God's 
a direction for your life. You're hurting your And like words of the scholar are well-driven nails given by a shepherd. I want God to mess with me, in other words. I want Him to make me feel uncomfortable. I need to move from my comfort zone so I could become the man of God that will change the world. I need to get there. I need somebody to call me stupid when I'm acting stupid. And stupid is as stupid does. Don't expect to be flattered. Somebody told me, Pastor, I never get a a pat on the back with you. I said, listen to me. I'm not here to make you feel good in your stupidity. I'm trying to shake you out of that stuff because that's why you're a failure in your marriage. You're a failure in your family. You're a failure in your spiritual walk. Your economy reflects your foolishness. And God wants you to prosper in all things. And you only prosper when you live like Christ. So, 2 Timothy, or no, 1 Timothy 4.15. Paul is writing to a young man named Timothy, and he says, Timothy, I need to get you all the way into this stuff. This is not just a little, little sprinkle here twice a week. I need to dunk you in a 55-gallon tank and keep you underwater like a Navy SEAL for a long period of time so you understand it's time to wake up. I've never seen a Navy SEAL being trained going, I'm telling my mom, I'm, I'm going home. Listen to me. They say, what is it, tap out or ring out or God knows what? Go home. Go home. If you're playing games, you don't belong in a place where God is transforming lives. And so here he says, think real well on these things. And after you've figured out what you're doing, if you're really about what we're doing, give yourself entirely. Could you circle that word, please? Because God doesn't want you playing the hokey pokey. I put my right foot in. I put my right foot out. Put my right foot in. Shake it all about. Listen to me. God wants you to give yourself entirely over to these things. Body, soul, and spirit. So your thoughts, your words, and your actions line up. Because we look so stupid. We look so foolish calling ourselves Christians and being so acquainted with the world. And then when the world is asking us, can you please show me what you're into? Let me call my pastor. No, let him call you. Let him follow you. Let him hear you. Let him see Christ in everything you do. Somebody says, I'm going to follow you one day to see if you're a real Christian. I said, I hope you do follow me. I hope you, you tap my line. I, I hope you, you're there as a fly on the wall and you're able to see the glory of Christ, the life of God. Pastor, be careful. They're going to follow you. I hope they do. Pastor, be careful. They're going to tap your line. I, they'll get saved. I'll hear them weeping on the other side. They have to because Christ in me, the only reality Everything else is is falling short of that. So he tells, Timothy tells Paul, give yourself 100%. I don't have time. I'm really not committed like that. I mean, you just want me to be a real Christian. You want me not to have, a guy told me, "You, you don't want me to be human. Listen, Christ died so you would be superhuman. So you would not live. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 15. Well, we're going to finish this one here. 
Meditate. Put your mind onto these things. Give your whole entire body to reflect. You know why Calvin Klein wants to be on your shirt? You know why Tommy Hilfiger wants to be on your shirt? You know why they spend thousands and thousands of millions of dollars on advertising, hoping you'll wear a heat t-shirt or, or some Levi jeans? Because you are purportedly the guy that's going to wear the glory of God in this world. And as long as you put on foolishness, nobody will, you'll be in disguise. You'll be covered up. You're, you're, you're a, a covert secret service Christian. They don't even know you're a Christian where you work. They don't know that you're a Christian where you hang out. Your words, this lady today, we were changing the tires on my car, and the lady was, was cursing her husband out. And she was sitting right next to Oscar, and all of a sudden Oscar said, God bless you. She goes, I'm a Christian too. And I go to your brother's church, Raul Molina. I go, thank God for these undercover Christians, right? They curse, they steal, they do everything. And then, oh, praise the Lord, brother, praise the Lord. A guy was, was holding up a store in Fort Lauderdale last year. And he says, okay, stick them up. You're under, yeah, I want your money. And she goes, please don't hurt me. I'm a Christian. He goes, so am I. <laughs> so am I. So am I. Give yourself entirely to these things so that everyone can see your progress. So everybody could see the fragrance of Christ in all you do. Until when? Ephesians 4.11, it says, God will give you a pastor, a teacher, a prophet, an evangelist to bring you to the fullness of the measure stature of Christ so that you, my friend, will be everything Christ is. This is, this is the biggest lie that, that Christians have been told by Christ, I mean by, by the devil. You'll never be a perfect Christian. You'll never be a mature Christian. You'll never be someone who's complete in Christ. Well, let me tell you something. That's straight from the pit of hell. Because God has started doing such an excellent work. I don't have to be pretending that I'm a Christian. This guy, Christ lives in me. Christ, his life is my life. And, and so whenever something is going on in my life, I'm like, sorry, Lord. His spirit abides in me. I, I, listen, how I figured out I was a Christian. You want to know how I figured out I was a Christian? I was at community college a month into having accepted Christ in my life. And everybody was cursing. And every time they cursed, it hurt me. And I was like, man, these guys are real dirty. And I said, wait a second. I used to curse worse than them. Something's going on. I think Christ is inside of me. I think Christ lives there. I think he doesn't like bad words. He doesn't like offense. He doesn't like jealousy and envy and strife. He, he, this, it says, do not grieve the Spirit of God. So I don't understand Christians that grab the Spirit of God and, and sequester. He says, do not have sex with a prostitute. Or don't you know that you're joining Christ with an unclean person? You're forcing Christ to go and have a relationship with a prostitute. The Bible says don't do that. What fellowship could there be between light and darkness? How is it you call yourself a Christian and you, you, you ignore the Spirit of God? Christ in you is, is you're, you're stepping all over him. You're forcing him to go where he doesn't want to go. He says he's given us these men of God, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. What for? Verse 12. That they might prepare us 
They might equip the saints, you guys, for the work of ministry, to edify, to build the body of Christ. The next verse, 13. Till we all come to the unity of the faith, so that we all come to the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God, which is the expression of a perfect man in the measure, stature, and full capacity of Christ. It's not a half work. We're in this journey. I've been on this journey for 28 years. There are areas in my life that are still being perfected. They're still being uh, treated. God is still, he's, he's dealing with different areas of my life. But listen to me. There are 28 years worth of God building other aspects in my life that are Christ. That are Christ. And, and when you deal, uh, one gentleman from Venezuela says, I've never dealt with anybody that has has." concerns like if Christ himself were here. I've never met anybody who really cares like if it was Christ himself who was caring. And that's you and I. That's called maturity. That's growth. In verse 14 it says, so we are no longer. Who? Children. I want this. I want that. I'm going here. I'm going there. I'm going down. I'm coming up. And, and you are all over the place and no one's able to follow anything with regards to Christ. One of the things Christ says, heaven and earth will pass away. My words will abide forever. Let me ask you something. How about your words? When do they expire? When do you call, yeah, I said yeah, but I really meant no. I said no, but I really yet meant yeah. You know the perfect thing you do is shut up. Don't let your yap, 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 yap. You know a child because he can't stop his mouth. He can't control it. In James chapter 3, verse 2, it says, I think it's verse 1, he says that a perfect man is able to control his tongue. Verse 2. For we all stumble in many things, but if anyone does not stumble in words, he's a mature man, able to pull back a ton of stuff that are going on because he's not quick to open his mouth. He's not quick to just say something that doesn't mean anything. You see, a, a guy meets a girl and he tells her, I love you by the end of the night. He doesn't love her. He's just gibbering. And then a week later, she said, I thought you loved me. I don't know more. Yeah, that, that's horrible. And that's just a heightened expressions of immaturity. Paul also was in this journey of maturing in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, And he says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I was, I was all over the place. I was just saying when I understood as a child and I thought like a child. But when I became mature... I put away everything that was childish. I wasn't speaking like that no more. I wasn't thinking like that no more. I'm not doing that no more. And that is one of the things that's the hallmark of maturity. It's called stability. You're not moving fast and furious in every direction. You are stable. You are grounded. You're not unstable. Your thoughts are not about you. They're more likely about someone else. In James chapter 1, verse 8, he says like this, don't be a double-minded man because a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. We could say that just like carnality is immaturity and spirituality is maturity, well, when somebody 
is speaking the wrong words and not sticking with the actions of what they speak. They're immature. And then a person that is all over the place and double-minded. I told one man uh, last year, I said, listen, you would be a tremendous blessing in any one church you go to. He goes to five churches. He doesn't do anything at any of the five churches he's at. So I tell him, listen, pick one and be a man. Pick one and be faithful. Pick one and give your word. Pick one and deny yourself. Go there to serve. Pick one. And, and, and a double-minded man could never because he's always like, I, I want to be where people can't find out who I am so I could continue to act like a child. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, he says, In the last days, men will be lovers of themselves. The only people that are promoting self are children. A couple of years ago, my 11-year-old daughter, she's about four or five, and we all, every member in our family says, we're all going to go have hamburgers today. Out of the back seat, all the way in the far back, Christina goes, I want to have pizza! Because a child is always not looking for the general well-being. A child is looking for their particular benefit and interest. They're looking for, for what they want. They, they don't care. I, I just told a man yesterday, I said, listen to me. You could care less about your wife. You could care less about your sons. You could care less about your daughters. It's all about you, my friend. And you know what? That's heightened levels of immaturity. And I'm sick and tired of seeing a 45-year-old man act like a two-year-old punk. Sick of it. Why? Because Christ has so much more to give us. If you're not thinking about your wife and don't think about your children, let me ask you a question. Do you think you're going to care about the body of Christ? No. It's all about you. You're singing the tune, it's all about me. Me, 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 me. That's, that's, that's the practice of the tune that you're singing. That's why there's nothing going in the right direction. Men will be lovers of self. Self-pity. Oh, if if, uh, lovers of money. They're not generous. They're thinking they never have money. Anyways, let's go there. They can't, they can't have. They're self-centered. They're fixated on self. They're looking for their self-esteem and their self-worth and their self-net worth, self-fulfillment. What about my dreams? Listen to me. How about the, the dreams of those God has given you? What about the dreams of God of those that are in your trust? You're trampling them with all your immaturity. So marks of maturity is that you begin to imitate good examples. Find somebody that you could imitate. Who's your hero? Ozzy Osbourne. Ozzy Osbourne? Every rock and roll guy has been stuck on stupid, only the expressions of his youth. That's why they haven't gone forward. They're stuck in the 60s. And they're imitating one another. And, and they're walking in that bad imitation. Listen, a mark of maturity is that you want to imitate a wise man. You want to be known as a man of your word, a man of stability, a man of relationship, a man of truth. 
And this is, this is us aspiring to maturity. This is not anything less than growing up so you're not stuck in a tree somewhere telling people you want to be like Peter Pan. You want to run, run around with lost boys. We met a guy today. He says, oh, I, I used to hang out with the gang, the angels. It's like, brother, you guys look like a bunch of devils. You have nothing, nothing. This world is a bunch of foolishness. The full expression of the Spirit of God is a mark of maturity. When, when there's something coming through you that people identify, that's the Spirit of God. And usually a man who gets serious with Christ, his wife picks it up like this. He stops caring about himself and turns to his wife and says, I want to serve you. And she's like, are you on drugs? No, 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 I'm, I'm influenced by the Spirit of God. I want to love you, serve you. I want to bless you. I want to return a smile back on your face. This is, this is a mark of maturity. It's happened in this church by the hundreds. And the wives are like, praise God. A mark of maturity is you start applying these realities to your personal life. How, how incredible that we want to take everything to someone else. Excuse me, this is for you. The pastor said this. I read the Bible and the psalm says this is for you. Listen, whatever you read, put it on. It's for you. It's, it's, it's for your, your benefit. Start telling people what God is doing for you. Quit exporting the Spirit of God. It's personal responsibility. Take care of yourself. Uh, um, to deny ourselves is a mark of maturity. We said that. Did you know that you don't have to go around being greedy and stingy because someone loves you more than you love yourself? Christ has given it all for you and has promised to continue to give it all for you. So you don't have to be stingy. You don't even have to care for looking after yourself. You can start concentrating on other people so that you can walk in that expression of maturity. Caring about someone else is a mark of maturity. Just like caring about yourself is a mark of immaturity. Singleness of purity, single-mindedness, purity. I, I didn't know what purity meant for a long time, but it means not two, not four, not six. It means one. You don't have two wives. You, you don't have three jobs. You have singleness of purpose. You're, you're giving all you have in one pathway. Well, when you're double-minded, you're all over the place. A guy tells me, well, I'm an electrician, plumber, chemist. Uh, 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 I'm a carpenter, and I, I'm a security guard. Listen, that sounds to me like you're confused. You haven't given yourself over to that which God wants you to give 100%. First, the kingdom of God. Well, I can't. I know you can't. That's why everything is scatterbrained. But when you seek first the kingdom of God, everything will be added to you in large, abundant measure. God will prosper you. If you're faithful with the little, God will put you in the much. And, and this is the road to prosperity, singleness of mind, uh, moral excellence. What's moral excellence? You don't mess around with sin. Yeah, but everybody else does it. Who does that sound like? It sounds like a guy who's going off to middle school and he wants to wear tennis shoes. Everybody else does. He doesn't care about everybody else. Spirituality says, I don't care about what, who's doing what. I'm giving my best to my God. 
I'm giving the best. This is, this is a mark of maturity. People used to say, well, Joaquin, I don't know why you're giving so much to God. Listen to me. I'll tell you why I give so much to God. Because everything I am, everything I have, everything I do, Christ gave to me. And they said, but do you tie that out of the net or out of the gross? I said, listen to me, you fool. God has grossly blessed me. He doesn't say, I'm going to net Joaquin out. No, he has grotesquely blessed me, and I will bless the Lord my God with way more than I could ever think. Two pennies more. 14 cents and 30. And, and give me a, could anybody have a calculator? Because I want to take it down to that. Really? You kidding me? The extravagant love. And you know what I realized? The more I give God, the more he returns. And he's blessed me beyond measure. He's never going to do anything in this life without Christ. So moral excellence is giving God your best. I could go to church like ever I want. Yes, you can. But you should go like you're going to go and bless the king of glory. You're going to go and you're going to deck out to see the king of kings. I used to go to court without a tie. So I was in a hurry. I wanted to just go by there. And the judge says, Mr. Molina, are you on vacation? He says, no, judge, I'm just in a rush. He says, listen, not in my courtroom. You're not coming in without a tie. So I had to go looking for a tie all over. It's embarrassing. When you're going before the, um, what's it called, an authority, and you're going before a dignitary, you don't sit there and come like you want. You come like he is worthy. And you're giving them the best. And I remember as a child, they used to have the Sunday best, right? You had your shoes, you had your clothes to go and Stand before your God. Moral excellence. Uh, a mark of maturity is having a servant's heart. Uh, people that go to church and say, I don't receive in that church. Listen to me. Church is not for you to receive. Church is for you to lay down your life because you love Christ. Amen. And you're working for Christ and you're serving Christ's people. And you are. You, you are putting your time, your talents, your treasure, not for some association or ecclesiastical order, you are a servant. That's a mark of, of maturity. Surrender. You're dead to claims. You don't have any claims. I, I wish I could take a list of everything everybody has told me. Well, I wish we were in a better neighborhood. I wish we had uh, different people show up. I wish, listen to me. I don't wish anything because I can't even believe I'm here. I can't even believe I'm participating with the presence of God and his people. And so a total surrender, there's no claims when you're in maturity. Self-control, we said that, controlling the self-life. Um, endurance, you go through trials and you get up. You go through trials and you get up. You go through trials and you get up. James 1.4 says, let patience have her perfect work that you might be mature entirely without any area of your life being roasted by the Spirit of God. You're on fire with God, and he's just roasting every side. So every side of you looks like Christ. And this work, suffering, will have its perfect work so that you will be mature. And there will be no area in your life that you can't tell somebody, this is how Christ would do it. This is how Christ taught me to do it. Because I remember I was going to knock his head off. And guess what? He taught me how to forgive. He taught me how to love. He taught me to go the second mile, the third mile. This is the marks of maturity because of what I suffered, because of the hardships I've gone through. So now I'm not lacking. I know what it is to go through problems and stand up. Listen to me. A mark of maturity is your ability to encourage people. You're encouraged so that 
goes off to other people. A mark of spiritual immaturity is you get offended, you're not encouraged, and you discourage other people. Hey, David, don't come next week, man. This is awful. It's taking too long. That's discouragement. Encouragement is, man, pastor, could you go for another hour? And then you elbow Carmen and you say, Carmen, we're going to stay. And so that's a mark of maturity when you're infecting people with the kingdom of God, not infecting them with viruses and, yeah, did you see that? Listen to me. A mark of maturity is your capacity to be encouraged and encouraged. There's like 50 verses in the Bible. I'm not going to touch upon them. You look for them. That talk about how you're to be encouraging people constantly. Faithfulness, a mark of maturity that you show up. A guy told me last, about 10 months ago, he says, um, excuse me, pastor, um, I've been a Christian for 20 years and we decided to your, join your church and I understand all these things. And You know what? I'm not going to say a word about anything and I'm just going to give you five years of my time. I was like, hallelujah. Guess what? Not even five months. Not even five months. Sight? Because there's no faithfulness. Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, every man will proclaim how powerful they are, how strong they are. But who can find a faithful man? Who can find just one faithful man? And you know what I usually ask them? Where have you been faithful at all? And, and I had one guy say, well, I've given my whole life. Listen to me. You've only given like three years. What do you mean your whole life? You've only given three years. Your whole life is, is minimum 50. Minimum. If, if we're going to live to be 100. But faithfulness, that's a mark of maturity. I want to hang out with faithful men like Leo Gossage. His pastor says that he would never leave the side of his pastor. And he died, and his pastor says, I never thought he was going to keep his word. And for 35 years, that guy was at my side. He served until he passed away. Uh, a mark of maturity is your ability to play on a team. If you're not able to join with other people that are on a team to achieve what God wants, you're not mature. You're selfish. You, you, you want the ball. Accountability, being held responsible for doing the wrong thing. I'm doing everything right. Let me ask you a question. Who the heck did you ask to say that you're doing everything right? Ask your wife first. I challenge you tonight. You who say that you're doing well, you get home tonight and you say, hey, honey, am I doing things right? And she's going to say, we'll talk later. We'll discuss it later. I, want to, I don't want to get in an argument. Accountability is asking somebody else, how am I doing? And being able to ask somebody how you're doing, a pastor, your wife, your husband, you say, how am I doing? And being able to hear those words. And then finally, a mark of maturity is dealing with a failure in wise manners. A, a friend of mine says he got in an argument with his wife. He came home and got divorced. Listen to me. Just because there's problem doesn't mean you've got to quit. A mark of maturity is saying, I'm going forward. We're going to see this through. There's going to be an awesome resolution to this. We're going to see God's faithfulness. We're going to see God's goodness in our lives. So uh, maturity is thinking, talking, walking, and living like Christ. In other words, showing progression in the work of the Spirit in your life. The Holy Spirit is working in you to bring forth Christ. And, and the fact that you stumble and you have issues doesn't mean that you stop walking. There's plenty of grace and forgiveness. There's plenty of reconciliation and starting over. I love starting over because it's one of the names of Christ, Alpha and Omega. To start all over, it says, Jesus, I'm going to back with you to start from the beginning.
And I challenge you, those of you who have come here tonight, maybe you've, you've heard an incredible uh, admonition of the Lord. Listen to me. Do not be bothered about what I think or what I've said. Be bothered about what Christ says and what He thinks. You don't want to hear the words, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. You don't want to hear those words. You want to hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You want to hear the words that you have allowed Christ to do a work in you. As we close tonight and ask the ushers to come forward for the, for the Lord's Supper, I, I think that we can all say what Paul says in Philippians 3.12. I'm not there yet, nor have I been completely mature. I'm not perfect, Philippians 3.12. I haven't got there yet, but I'm, I want to press forward. I want to lay hold of why Christ saved me. I, I want to get to that level. And in verse 13, he says, I don't consider that I have captured it. I, I, I haven't grabbed a hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting all that's behind I'm not going to sit there and get stuck in the past. I'm going to reach forward to those things which are ahead. Verse 14, I'm going to press on towards the goal to win that high calling, the prize that God has in Christ. Verse 15, so let us who are spiritually mature and full grown have this mind. And if we think anything different tonight, within a certain season, God will reveal this. Verse 16, he says, only hold to that which is true. Grab on to those areas where you're already mature. And he says, let us walk by the same rule and let us be of the same mind. To the degree that we've already attained certain levels of maturity, don't throw the towel. Don't throw the tantrum. Don't be unstable and foolish in all your ways. Let the people see your thoughts, your words, and your actions as full-grown men who are already know what God expects, who are already... Uh, Incline towards the direction God wants for you. And as Paul was greeting the Corinthians at the end of this book, 2 Corinthians 13, 11, he touches upon several things that is almost like the direction of maturity. He says like this, 2 Corinthians 13, 11. He says, finally, brethren, have a good journey. That's what farewell means. Make sure that you're traveling well in your Christian walk. Be mature. That's what complete means. Be perfect. Be complete. Let this stuff be matured in areas of life. Be of good courage. Be encouraged. Be of one mind. Get along. Live in peace. So that the God of love and peace will be with you. And that's what God wants for us today. As he's telling them these words... He says, the reason why I'm writing you this letter in verse 10, he says, because I don't want to get there in person and have to give you a serious rebuke. I write these things before I get there, lest when I come, I should use sharpness. I should use words that are, are too harsh according to the authority which the Lord has given me. God has, has allowed me to move in this direction tonight. He says, not for your destruction. I don't want to encourage anybody here tonight. I don't want anybody to be lost. I don't want anybody to, to, to stop running the race because this authority to rebuke, this authority to call your attention is to build you up to be the man of God and the woman of God that's going to change the world. So keep that in your meditation and keep it in your heart. And I pray that you would always have a man of God or a woman of God in your life that would press you on to perfection and maturity and not to mediocrity and complacency.
I wish that you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. And that wasn't Paul who was speaking those words. It was Christ. He doesn't want to see you in that, that indifferent, apathetic, cold state that sometimes we get into. Father, I give you thanks tonight for this table. It's a glorious table of provision that reflects your body and blood that was shed at the cross of Calvary. I ask your blessing upon this table as we partake, Lord, in a manner worthy, Lord. Being reminded of your body that was broken so that we could be united in the body of Christ and partaking of the cup, which is a representation of the blood that you shed for forgiveness of sin. So bless these elements and make them uh, a blessing and nourishment to our bodies tonight, Lord, that we would be healed from all sickness, Lord, restored in our spiritual vitality and physical health, Lord. And we give you thanks, Lord, and partake in a glorious manner. As we pass out the elements, we pray, Father God, for unity of the body of Christ and for a life without sin, Lord, because the power of your blood gives us this assurance. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As the ushers pass out the elements, the Bible says for us to examine ourselves before we partake. The Bible also says that only those that take this seriously are the ones that should partake. Otherwise, you're going to get something that a manner of judgment towards you. So we always ask that you would be first water baptized after having received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So if you're still not water baptized, in the next couple of weeks, we shall have water baptisms. And then you'll go to water baptism and you'll be able to participate with the Lord's Supper um, the first week of March. So please abstain from participating if you're not yet water baptized. And after the service, you could talk to our brother Richard Lopez and we'll, we'll put you into the baptism classes and get you water baptized so you could take these things as serious as we um, are expected to. So examine yourselves tonight if you're going to partake and ask God to allow you to grow spiritually, to walk more serious in these matters. Do not play with the table of the Lord. Do not play around with these elements. The Bible says those who have partaken in a manner which is unworthy, despising the blood and the body of Christ, have, have brought judgment upon themselves. So as the worship team sings this song, you just get right before God and, and purpose to get right with your brother, with your wife, with your family. Uh, and, and participating is a blessing of the Lord's table. Amen.